So, so Game of Thrones is ending. What? Uh, <laughs> when did this we're happen? About to get, <laughs> we're about to get. I thought it was Avengers massively popular. Endgame. Why are they? Why are they pulling the plug? <laughs> <laughs> We've got Avengers Endgame coming out in a few weeks, and then they just dropped the new teaser for Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Lame title. And lame, exactly, lame title for a lame title. trilogy. <laughs> That's not true. It, it was fine. <laughs> Well, no, it's just like we're going through a moment where 2019 is like the end of end of all these big nerd culture ephemera franchises, but not really. Yeah, because all of this really feels hollow because they're going to keep making Marvel movies. They're going to keep making Game of Thrones TV shows. And even this like, you know, Rise of Skywalker, they're like, oh, the ending conclusion to the saga. It's like this is the least trilogy feeling (laughs) trilogy they've ever done. Like, they're all perfectly situated two years apart. Yeah. You know, it's not like Ray's gone through any massive transformation. Like, remember how in the originals, like, Luke aged, like, eight years, and he went from, like, the white to the well, and gray a car to the black? Well, had something to do with that, yeah. Okay, you know, all right, fine, whatever. All right, Mark Hamill's still no, I, no, I understand man. what Thank you mean. You we saw the progression of an innocent Luke Skywalker to potentially fall into the dark side. I understand what you mean. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this, like yeah, this this was not thought through. It's clear that it was not one single unit. They thought, okay, all three stories have to coalesce in some way. And at the very least, we saw what Luke Skywalker did. We saw what Anakin Skywalker did um, in those last two movies. Here, I don't know quite what they're going for. Maybe Rey was supposed to be the daughter of Luke Skywalker. I don't know. Uh, obviously, Ryan Johnson threw a wet blanket over that, which is fine. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, we don't know what the what the whole arc of this trilogy is. And yeah, it, they haven't looked like they've aged today. Like It looks like nothing's changed. Um, <laughs> and they brought back Emperor Palpatine, and it's like, oh, God, just I, shoot yeah. me. I saw they're on a, a skiff, Jabba, one of Jabba the Hutt's skiffs. Um, yep, they're back to a desert planet, because, yep. oh, we haven't seen that before. Nope, no, we're, <sighs> we're in the just, ruins. I'm so tired. Yep, I know. Well, I mean, I never it's thought ending. I'd be tired of Star Wars. Well, I mean, John, it's ending, because, come on, how many how many good years does the Earth have left <laughs> following, <laughs> following global warming? Come on, it's the end of a decade. It's the end of civilization. And, and I uh, I look forward to meeting you across the, uh, the barren plains of California, mm-hmm. ruined by uh, drought and wildfires and... Uh, a lack of uh, gasoline and other essential resources. <laughs> do you think? Do you think California is the most likely to suffer from an apocalyptic event, or like the least likely? Because remember, we also live in a socialist utopia. Exactly. Where we take that's, care of our own. That's and what a social safety net will protect. Us. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Um, the climate apocalypse is already happening in some areas of the country. Oh, namely, yeah. namely yeah, Nebraska. Okay. I, I wasn't expecting that. Deltas, uh, Bangladesh, <laughs> New Orleans, uh, low-lying areas are really going to suffer a lot. Uh, California, I think we're doing okay. Uh, we're, we've got elevation. Mm-hmm. For one thing, so rising sea levels not mm-hmm. affecting us much. Temperature nope. temperature might be an issue. Uh, we do have enough water. We could just turn it off to Nevada and Arizona, and I think we'll be fine. But um, yeah, I mean they suck. They don't need the exactly. Water. We yeah, need the they water. don't deserve. We have it. higher yeah. populations, and we have the farms. We control the food. Okay, they can't stop us. We have the food. If this were settled as a Catan, they'd be done, okay? Exactly. We're the, we're the we rich made the right. Here. We made the wise decision to move out here, John. Exactly. We we knew. We had the foresight. Yes. All right. No White Walkers are coming after us. Good, sir. Thank you very much. <laughs> we're at King's Landing, my friend. Yes, exactly. Under the, under the beneficence of Queen Cersei, in this case, uh, Gavin Newsom, <laughs> who's, a queen, who's a queen in his own right. Uh, oh. <laughs> what? I'm just saying he's fancy. <laughs> who's that gay candidate, uh, Greg... Greg but no, but no, but Pete, Pete, Pete Buttigieg, Buttigieg or something. Put Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg. Okay. Yeah, this year's Tim Paul Lenti and um, <laughs> I don't know who was another out of 
a-hole out of the Midwest. Like, oh, he seems like a nice, pleasant fellow, and then he opens his mouth, and people are like, oh, no, no thank you. <laughs> uh, Howard Dean, I guess Howard, Howard Dean would be another one, well. yeah. And by halfway through the primaries, I, I'm so exhausted by everything. <laughs> I'm exhausted by pop culture. I'm exhausted by politics. I'm just tired. I'm just tired of it all. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just, I sure am glad. <laughs> speaking of having wrong, <laughs> speaking of making wrongful decisions, <laughs> I am glad I made you experience this particular movie for Holy Week. Welcome to the Aspiring Snobs Holy Week episode, everybody. <laughs> Christ be with you <laughs> and with your spirits. I mean, I, I, I do feel a, a regeneration through the Holy Spirit. Thanks to watching this movie. Thank you to you, Greg. <laughs> Blessings and peace be upon your name. Thank you, John. Uh, of course, we're talking about uh, a, a different sort of classic, if you will, um, as I will explain later. We're talking about a film that we missed 15 years ago, but we're, we're re- resurrecting it right now. It is... <laughs> nice. It is The Passion of the Christ. Money back. Man, Christ, this movie. <laughs> let's, let's not go that hard, John. First, I want to... I want to forewarn people, because this is going to be a theme in this episode. Uh, usually we determine a, a classic via its awards, its cult status, the a- affection that its fans have. I feel like this is the first time where we let the market decide. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I think we really kind of pick anything that has any kind of cultural cachet. And regardless of how much money this Not thing anymore, made, though. I mean, th- I, this made a cultural impact regardless of how much money it made. I feel like this was still I part know, of yeah. the zeitgeist and a huge part of the conversation, hence why I think in terms of our loose concept for this show is why we're, mm. we're revisiting it today. I, I think so, yeah. Well, I and maybe maybe you regard it as still part of the cultural conversation. I sure don't, because um, whatever... I mean, not today, evangelicals, but Whatever evangelicals um, have uh, propelled this to... the. T- highest grossing R-rated movie of all time and number one for several weeks. Uh, wherever evangelicals have done that have found a new god. So it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't matter what uh, what Mel Gibson also totally irrelevant like uh, wanted, wanted to do with this movie. But mm. I, I mean, I'm I not know. saying no, our, I'm not saying it's on the yeah. forefront of everyone's mind today but I'm saying at the time no. it generated a lot of controversy as, as yes, the okay. folks across the palms. So I guess, so I guess that is a, a reason for revisiting it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, revisiting it because, John, even though you and I grew up in a Christian household, we missed this uh, when it first came out in 2004. We were almost of age at that point, <laughs> old enough to see an R-rated movie. Uh, however, like we just never had the, the wherewithal. We'd, we'd rather watch, I don't know, Team America, Napoleon Dynamite, <laughs> um, more escape is fair, let's say. <laughs> 
Oh man, we we're gonna go see our first R-rated movie. It's called The Passion <laughs> of the Christ. <laughs> Is that and well, the idea of this movie was to be a, a rejuvenation of people's faith, so that they could see the trials that that Jesus actually went through um, in dying for our sins. Uh, if you are a follower of Christ in that way, so I want to ask you, because you mm-hmm. were you were not a churchgoer anymore, not not especially I, no. Yeah, I still am. So, how did you initially react to this movie? Did you did you feel invigorated? Your faith was reinvigorated, or is do you, were you like this is a fifteen year old movie? Why the hell did Greg make me watch this? <laughs> um, I I'll just I'll just give you my initial thoughts, which is ugh, so boring. This movie is actually <laughs> surprisingly boring, and I think it's because I come with all that kind of history, that that Christian upbringing, that baggage with it that yeah. I was kind of hoping to be a little more challenged. I thought this would be maybe, because the other thing too is my expectations going to this movie is that it was a little bit more challenging than your standard kind of Christian fare. Oh, they actually do mm-hmm. speak Hebrew and Latin throughout. And also in the version I watched, you know, it didn't have subtitles. I had to turn those on. And so I did kind and of... And that pre- was going to be one of Mel Gibson's choices. He, mm-hmm. he wanted it to be without subtitles and let just the performance, even if you can't understand the words, like a, like a Catholic, like an old Catholic mass <laughs> um, done entirely in Latin, like you, you would more feel the uh, initial. So I think that's why when we watched it, the subtitles weren't default to being on. I think that's why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so on the one hand, I wanted to appreciate it for that. But also, yeah. it's just so rote. It's just, you know, the greatest story ever told again. And <laughs> it is it is kind of so pitched towards middle America, you know, popcorn munching fare. Surprisingly, I was so disappointed. And uh... for a movie that is meant to be so intense, I found it so kind of dreary and obvious and I, I was very disappointed and I found myself my mind wandering surprisingly for a movie that is meant to be so brutal I can't imagine I was so bored <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm gonna disagree with you there okay um I didn't find it boring I think there's a lot like Mel Gibson is a real filmmaker I didn't find it boring in the way that other maybe Christian movies are because they're barely telling a story. They're just trying to impart a point in the most obvious ways possible. This is a little less obvious. I think there's some interesting touches that the filmmaking does that, that held my interest. Um, I think the whole idea of the movie is wrong. Mm. That's my issue. It's, it's, it's this microscopic focus because Mel Gibson's a weirdo and he loves torture and bloodlust. Like he, he decided to focus on just, on just the passion and with little nods, like little glimpses of the, the, what's actually important in Jesus' story. <laughs> this is like, this is like the story of Noah you've never seen before. He gets drunk and naked in a tent and <laughs> his son's seen without his clothes on. <laughs> that's not, that's not the story of Noah. And this, this only feels like part of the story of Christ. So, again, we don't judge we don't judge a movie based on what its content is. We j- we base on what it is as a film. So, but I'm just gonna flip that and reverse it. As a film, I think it's fine. As a piece of Christian content, I I really don't like it. <laughs> See, I just didn't like it either. So either way, so yeah. I thought <laughs> yeah, I thought it was kind of like it it has pretensions of being so much a capital I important movie. And so I think that's why it felt it, it felt so insincere to me. 
is like well, even yeah, though let's... Mel Gibson obviously has a passion for this, for lack of a better term, yeah, like he wants to, he wants this to be a you know capital I important movie. But again, he still gives it like that Braveheart treatment, that obvious like oh, and then the music swells and the actors yeah. go histrionic, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, oh, you must be with him, you know him, Peter. No, I've never known him b- before in my life. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's so yeah. like obvious, and I thought, and again, like bringing that baggage like i come from a christian household i you know know the story and it doesn't deviate whatsoever like i was hoping for a little more i wasn't like going in expecting last temptation of christ but you know the only times i did perk up is like oh i don't remember this from the story i don't remember the bible referring to judah being chased by demon children into the yes <laughs> exactly it, it i like it when it is being straightforward it's th- those embellishments where it's i almost laugh out loud but oh no 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 I, I i wish i wish he indulged in more weirdness i wish he went <laughs> i think i wish he went in a more abstract direction like he, what he went with uh judas's suicide i thought that yeah. was really interesting <laughs> Let's get actually to that that artistic impression because this is the elephant in the room I really want to address. Mm-hmm. I have no doubt that part of Mel Gibson did, as he explained in interviews, want to basically rejuvenate people's faith via the showing the passion of the Christ and the sacrifice that he went through for people's sins. Mm-hmm. I have no doubt that I have no doubt that that's what Mel Gibson's intention was was this movie. However, I also cannot help but think. He also made this movie to address the anxieties he has about the Jewish people potentially killing his Lord and Savior, and thus being the source of his anti-Semitism. Excuse me, Greg? Do you think the Pharisees were coded particularly Jewish in this movie? <laughs> well, so yeah, so yeah, that's that's where we where we start really. I I actually like the histrionic acting. We start in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is actually looking to the heavens and actually trying to like find a way out. And so I like that this, I like that this movie actually addressed his his humanity as well as his divinity. I suppose. Even though it's, but again, going yeah, back you, to that histrionic acting, he looks like he's busting for a piss, even though he's supposed to be looking like, <laughs> even though he's looking like he's like control being controlled by the Holy Spirit. It just it looked silly to me. But that's just me, I, so. maybe I'm I'm contrasting it with every other like depiction of Jesus, where he's the sternest, most like important figure in the world. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we show him with I like um like uh. Yeah, we depict him with so much reverence that he's just this blank slate and, you know, not not the compelling leader that he would have been 2,000 years ago. <laughs> okay. So the fact, the fact that he's shown as human here is good. But, yeah, this is when we're introduced to the Pharisees. Now, John, describe what do they look like? 
Well, they're adorned in gold. <laughs> so you know how important they are. And they're yeah. in very they're in very elaborate robes covering their heads in a covering style their heads. interesting, yeah. Yeah. In a style you might describe as orthodox, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was I was thinking in ter- yeah. What what does their skin look like though? Because they look different than Jesus somehow, not just their <laughs> <laughs> Their features look a little less Anglican, I would say. In fact, yeah. Jesus is looking very Anglican. For, uh, for someone who was born in Israel. <laughs> yeah. So, no, we probably can't get over the, the that little coded language. I know the movie faced criticism. One of the uh, Pharisees has a friggin' eye patch for crying out loud. Yes. <laughs> I know the movie faced criticism for that when it first came out. Um, however, I'm glad to say 15 years later, those criticisms were apt. This yeah, does exactly. feel... That was very like, fair. Yes, he... This is like coded language about like who's who's the real villain here? Because almost immediately in the trial of Jesus, Pontius Pilate looks downright saintly. Mm-hmm. Like Mel Gibson's portrayal of this is literally just the 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 Jews at the time were just bloodthirsty <laughs> and just ready just ready to wipe our Lord and Savior off the face of the earth. That's mm-hmm. that's the only like, it, and this is not a very nuanced movie, but it, yeah, it's the most I think abhorrent bit of it um yeah in, in addition to some other things i'll, I'll get to later but mm-hmm. pontius Pilate comes off as generously spineless he's like yes. a politician and you know he feels like he needs to keep the rabble in line so he kind of even though he knows it's wrong and there's nothing you know condemning jesus he feels like he needs to do it to toe the party line and keep everyone kind of amused going so far to you know release a murderer in jesus's place which again yes. like so over the top and ridiculous <laughs> Well, no, like that, the that is based is on like... the gospel. That is based on the gospel, to be fair. Uh, he does allow uh, Barabbas, or however you pronounce his name, to Barabbas or something. Oh, and that, so Barabbas is, was like is... this feral animal who was like, yeah. yes, yes, I can't wait to be free and start murdering again. That's what I do. Yeah. I like to, you generally describe as, as spineless. My impression was like, like move over, St. Stephen. This is the real first like Christian martyr. Oh, okay. <laughs> something like, yeah. <laughs> He always has this like, like worried look on his face, like, "Oh, how will yeah. I atone for this?" Yeah, he's always looking to his wife, who's also like, "How could you let them do this?" Because every woman in in this movie is also portrayed as saintly, other than the one, <laughs> other than the one Satanist, uh, Satan depiction of Satan. Every other woman is just like, "Oh," and they and they lift their eyes to the Lord because, yeah, they have no agency. But whatever, we'll we'll gloss over that too. <laughs> I mean, uh, Mary like is dressed pretty much like a nun. She's coded like a nun. She looks exactly like she's wearing like the coveralls and everything. It's it's yeah. it's absurd like the kind of the 20th century kind of coded like design that goes into the visuals of this movie. And yes. that's something else that kind of bothered me. Mm-hmm. Now that said, I do like that the filmmaking is communicating this. Like even if even if you didn't have your subtitles on and they're all speaking Aramaic, like you can understand based on the close-ups of Pilot, what's going on. And then I also liked it, like the filmmaking, when we get to that first, we'll call them, we'll call them first, um, shoot, what are they called? The stages? Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, stations. Stations, stations yeah. yes. Yeah. When we get to that first, uh, uh, maybe not the first official station, but the whipping post, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and now, something else again, that a... bothered me is, again, going back to that whole history on thing, just how much people, like, enjoy killing jesus like they're cackling (laughs) just like just this insane over the top like almost uh, erotic joy they get out of beating jesus like and it's not just like the romans doing it but also like the crowd just like yes yes watch him bleed (laughs) 
Yeah, so I think I think the depiction of the Romans here was also to kind of save face in the depiction of of the Jewish authorities at the time, because <laughs> yes, they're they're just as sadistic, even though their leader is obviously has mixed feelings about this, almost to the point where yeah, he just wants to let Jesus go go free. The the Romans are yeah like showing like cackling through ugly brown teeth and <laughs> yes wh- whipping uh, with impunity. Uh, mm-hmm. That said, I I think here. The filmmaking is effective. I remember this one distinct shot where you just see his hands. It's it's not as uh, like gruesome as maybe it could have been. It allows it allows you to leave it open to your own interpretation. Like you don't you don't always see uh, the whip touching skin. There's another like I think good moment when they have to they replace the cat of nine tails and he tests it out against a wooden board, and you do see the impact that it has and how it like drags the wood away and like what and it makes you worry about what's what's going to happen to the body of Jesus there. So those moments are effective. Um however it does lead to my most um the the part that made me the second angriest. Mhm. And that is uh following this whipping scene, we get the camera's a POV of Jesus. <laughs> And that, to me, said, um, like, not, not only is that that offensive to put yourself in the eyes of the Lord, <laughs> but it's also, to me, saying uh, from filmmaker Mel Gibson, I feel oppressed and betrayed here as well. Oh. <laughs> Greg, what are you saying? Are you, like, <laughs> Mel Gibson has known nothing but praise and love in liberal Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and why why would evangelical American evangelical Christians, obviously a, a very very in touch with reality and knowing their their standing their standing in the political landscape, how how powerful they are, and they acknowledge their their place and power, why would they see themselves uh, as victims of the way Jesus is in this in this scene? What about complaining about the Pharisees, a man in Hollywood? Thinking yeah. that you know, <laughs> there's a powerful Jewish cabal that runs everything. Where? Why do you think he reacted so well to this story? It's a mystery. Nun quit ego iudeus, pontificis tui mihi tetraditeum. Me interficere te volunt, cul, quit fecisti. Rexis tu? Reni meum non est eo mundo. Fieset, putas ministri mei isto sic tradre mei. Isen. Ant malcati, ergo rexis Okay, again, I just wanted to get that off my chest. (laughs) The content itself, terrible. However, the ways in which he gets there, (laughs) I think, interesting. Mm. Again, POV, way better than any of the current Christian crap coming out via um, Pure Flix and who knows what else. I mean, I'm not going to deny that, you know, Mel Gibson, despite being an absolutely horrible garbage human being, has some talent. Mm -hmm. But again, like, in service of what? And, like, yes, you can argue that, yes, he's trying to go for a visual panache. But again, it just goes over the top. 
and again, just goes so basic, so middle brow, so like lowest common denominator that I was just completely uninterested the whole time. And like you said, the only times it, uh, you mentioned, like the only times it came alive for me were the facts that it kind of deviates from the story or parts that I don't generally remember. Like uh, there's a part with, they go to some kind of like gay orgy and there's like a someone chained up a cheetah. Someone has a cheetah pet cheetah there for like a split second. What the fuck was that about? I don't remember that. I, from God, I don't remember. The, no, I, I scarcely even remember what you're talking about. To be honest, <laughs> they go to they like they go to this the royal vizier or something like that. Some like higher up, and like they get advice from him or something, and he condemns Jesus again or something. And it's like it's like a bacchanalia scene. I don't. It was like for oh, two seconds. Oh, now I remember. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It, yeah. It was so. Brutal. Brief. I, I think I was still seething over the depiction of the, the Sadducees or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember what character that was supposed to be or the gospel, like what part of the gospel. Is this meant to be based on one book? No, or? so it's it's combining every gospel with some embellish, embellishment. Um, obviously, there was no figure. There was no figure of Satan hovering around, uh, at least according to Matthew, Luke, and and Mark. So there there wasn't that. I don't believe. Um, Judas committed suicide within like two hours of of uh, betraying Jesus. I'm not sure that happened either. Um, one thing they do pull, and this is only from a single line in each gospel, I believe, but I, I believe it was to protect himself against uh, accusations of anti-Semitism, and that's the depiction of uh, Simon of Cyrene. Hmm. This is the uh, middle class, or sorry, lower class Jewish man who helps Jesus carry the cross up to uh, his final resting place. Hmm. Yes. And yes, I mean, when we're talking about just choices in costume and hair and makeup, <laughs> Simon is depicted much more humbly, however, clearly Jewish. Curly hair, uh, yarmulke. And, I mean, it's also uh, the weird lines that they give him, like, oh, jeez, this cross, <laughs> it's covered in splinters. <laughs> Ugh, can't wait to go to the deli after this. <laughs> I know. Off the, to, so, it's so ugly across and so little of it. Um, <laughs> so, okay. So, I immediately conveyed in the costume choices. However, I did admire that they tried to ring... Again, this this guy is only depicted in one line of each gospel. However, they ring a whole like interesting character out of him. Because initially he's reluctant. He's told by a Roman centurion, like, hey, Jesus has literally been whipped. He's lost gallons of blood at this point. Like, can't carry the cross anymore. You, you help him carry it. Mm-hmm. And initially he's reluctant, but he also sees the reflection. So, yeah, I, at least here... As you said, like we know the story, we know it's not exactly written for 21st century movie audiences where characters change and go through act breaks and <laughs> all that stuff. However, at least they were able to devise an interesting moment, um, an embellished interesting moment uh, in the story of the Passion. So that that I at least you know want to point out as as one little favorable point in this. But again, like it goes back to the greater demands of the story. Like if this is meant for Christian audiences, don't you think they would respond poorly to the embellishments? Like again, you brought up, you know, Darren Aronofsky's Noah earlier. Uh, like, oh no, John, oh, John, you're right. Christians would hate embellishments or anything against their religion. I mean, look at their reaction to Donald Trump. I mean, the most ungodly man in the world. Of course, they would reject something like that. I think Jesus would like AK-47s. Honestly, yeah. if you look in the script. He loves the Second Amendment, actually. Yes. He never commented on uh, the LGBT community, but we can infer between passages that he would hate it. Exactly. 
<laughs> okay, so that is actually one of the things I do appreciate about the movie is, again, there's mm-hmm. not enough of it, but it does use the flashback structure perfectly. Um, That's true. Yeah. I wish it used it more often because, again, obviously there's a lot more to the story of Jesus besides how he died. But yes. <laughs> they do. A lot of impo- important parts of the story, too. <laughs> exactly. But it's like structurally, they all come at like the right moment. It's the right mm-hmm. kind of spritzer it's the right kind of refresher and gives perfect context to what you know the larger themes of the story which i do kind of appreciate so yes. i want to give movie the movie credit for that but again yes. doesn't make up for two hours of whoa, wailing and gnashing of teeth no it does not <laughs> that's true again filmmaking great i love those match cuts like uh we see uh, jesus clean and perfect at the last supper uh cut to just after whipping his like blood like literally pouring down his face his hair greasy and terrible mm-hmm. good another moment when he's carrying the cross surrounded by these these throngs of, of bloodthirsty um, people <laughs> <laughs> again not a lot of nuance in that portrait portrait uh we get another point of view shot flash frame to palm sunday and it's the same frame but like everybody's celebrating him instead you know that yeah that works um i found the most interesting one though i don't know if you picked up on it because again you you might have been checked out as i was checked out at points um <laughs> I, I, there's one, there's a woman who's just in the crowd. She doesn't have any lines, I believe, um, mm-hmm. because paying actors with lines is expensive. But even if it's in Hebrew, yes. <laughs> I, I don't know if this was a SAG, uh, SAG movie, but um, okay. <laughs> but anyway, I believe we're, suppo- we're led to believe that this is Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. And what actually, through a little flashback, we see her fall to the feet of Jesus. And it's all done in one shot, and and uh, people are start tossing down throw stones behind her, and it's clear that this is the story in which he saves a prostitute who's going to get stoned to death. You know, famously saying, you know, uh, yeah. "He who without sin casts the first stone." Exactly. So, it, again, the filmmaking is is effective there. I I also want to push back in your note that it's like a little obvious. This is at one point where it's kind of like all done in one shot. Granted, gratuitous slow motion, but. <laughs> You, you're allowed to infer like what exactly is going on, and it defies what you think of what you perceived earlier was Mary Magdalene is instead one of the people that Jewish, or excuse me, one of the people that Jesus saved. Mm-hmm. So that's another that's another like keen moment, uh, good moment in this two hour, as you said, somewhat slog. <laughs> um, and I think at this point, you know, as he is dragging uh, the cross of the city, it was starting to drag at this point. However, I think Mel Gibson knew that too. And he said, hey, let's just jazz it up a little bit. Let's just have some fun, guys. <laughs> because this is the point when, famously, the nail through the hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, in history, it probably would have went through the wrist. <laughs> oh, excuse me, Bible scholar. Yes. This isn't homework, bro. Okay, this is a Mel Gibson movie. I want to see blood. <laughs> exactly. And he gives it to us by, like, uh, let's flip the cross over a few times. So then... <laughs> I don't know I don't know what that accomplished, but... Yep. <laughs> Other than making me check my watch, like, come on, let's get, let's move, let's get a move on here. It's Good Friday. We want to get we want to get home from the service. Thank you. <laughs> but following that, there's also uh, the two thieves that flank Jesus. This also yes. comes up in the Gospels, and one and one is very repentant and does acknowledge him as as Christ. The other one challenges him and says, "Oh, you're so great. Um, you know, why don't you come down from that cross?" Obviously, that's not how Jesus operates. That's how that's not how Jesus rolls. Yeah. So, but you know how God rolls is that if you <laughs> <Yes>. doubt, 
<laughs> you get you... punished immediately. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This this may surprise you. It was not in the gospel, but God said, "Hey, hey, jerk, jerkwad, you insult my son like that. Here's a raven to, cr- uh, to pound out your eyes." <laughs> yeah, that's the person that God should have intervened with. <laughs> Everybody else in the crowd was perfectly fine, <laughs> but this guy who's getting crucified obviously yeah. deserves some extra pain. <laughs> yes, because what a jerk. <laughs> Exactly. It went back to an Old Testament God where you get punished for your sins directly because Jesus was was taking him on anyway. No, that that's ridiculous. Um, I also found, speaking of, we were extolling the virtues of some of the flashbacks. There, there was one that really annoyed me. Mm-hmm. It was a scene between Mary, mother of Christ, and Jesus when he's still a young carpenter. He's not like a He's not, he hasn't been like baptized yet. And no, yeah, his, yeah. Uh, he's still. He, I mean, his he, journey. Yes, he's supposed to be kind of a teenager at this point, but it's still Jim Caviezel. So, <laughs> yes. And I think what's most important is that he's a darn good carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes, he's ahead of his time. Look how tall yes. this table is. <laughs> One day, these people will be sitting on chairs. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So he makes it. He makes a damn damn fine table, and it's just that. It, you know, even though this is a biblical story, we just got to slip in some American in some American philosophy in there. Like you do a good job, you know, you, you deserve all the good things coming for you. We need that classic Calvinist uh, philosophy. Yeah, you're you do good and you're rewarded. So, <laughs> and if you're Jesus, you do exceptionally. Um, exactly. Yeah, I I remember that in the in the Gospels when they treat him like a superhero. Uh, he was really smart. He was a good carpenter, and <laughs> he got all the ladies. They all fawned over him when he died. Oh, of course. If you keep this woman from getting stoned, oh boy, she's gonna jump yeah. your pants later. <laughs> Let me tell you guys. Let me tell you fellas. Yeah, but he was he was too good for that, John. <laughs> I mean, here's the reason why I kind of appreciated that scene is because again, yeah. like my, I, I was extolling the virtues of the flashbacks earlier, but the thing that bothered me about them ultimately was the fact that it's you know Jesus's greatest hits. We never get the, like the flashback yeah, of yeah. the parable of the mustard seed, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and flashback to the parable of the talents. You know, <laughs> no, or let's say like a miracle, for instance. Yeah. I, we do get one miracle. We get the uh, centurion getting his ear cut off, and Jesus, you know, fixes yeah. that. So that's like the one kind of sign of divinity, I would say, throughout the whole movie, besides the fact that he does, spoiler alert, um, Jesus gets resurrected <laughs> at the end, and we get that that shot of this, his hand. You know, he's got the hole in it, and it's like, Very Whoa. tastefully done. Yeah, very tastefully done. <laughs> mm, yeah, just, yeah, with about 30 minutes left, like said, Mel Gibson said, I'm just throwing the rest of it. Um, the the uh, impenitent thief is going to get his eyes clawed out. Um, there's going to be an earthquake in the whole temple. Not just the curtain, the whole temple is going to split in half. <laughs> <laughs> we get the rock, we get the uh, the robes, you know, we get him yes. resurrecting, we get the hole through the hand, done. Bing, bang, boom. Yes, the, all we the, get the... All- all the, we get the, um, the spear in Jesus's rib, mm-hmm. um, and Jesus had like an over two hundred blood pressure or something like that. It just bursts out of him. <laughs> and apparently, that's what stopped the earthquake too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, again, I think like a. a in spite of the, in spite of the content being pretty abhorrent, I th- I thought it was a well done film until about those last thirty minutes. Where mm-hmm. no, just, for me it was it just, just becomes over the top ridic- and ridiculous. No, because for me it was always over the top, so that's just natural inclina- uh, exclamation. I was like, oh okay. yeah, of course it's gonna end like this. Of course it's gonna end with a fucking climactic earthquake. Yeah.
Yeah, so... And I don't want to sound too negative, because I think my overall impression was like, oh, that that was a fine movie. that Like, wrong in many ways, but I think a, a fine movie, and I could see why it was such a hit. Um, in addition to timing, all you other Christian movie distributors, remember, this came out on Ash Wednesday, Lent, when everyone's feeling bad. They wanted to, you know, they needed some either, they wanted something to actually go to and see something edifying in the theaters. They don't wait. To, they didn't wait till Easter Sunday. The weather's too good. They're outside. They're not in the movie theater. So. Yeah, they're going to church for crying out loud. Come on. Yeah. You can't have two big events on one weekend. Ridiculous. I know. <sighs> Dummies. Yep. Overall, like, not a bad movie, just wrong. <laughs> no, that's, that's for me, it was boring and dumb, and I did not like it. And you say, of course it was a hit. I say, of course it was a hit. It's dumb, and it's stupid. And it's aimed directly <laughs> at the pleasure center of your, like, the dopamine spike. Like, this is this is what we're talking about, guys! <laughs> Feeding you over the head with it. And so, yeah, dumb movie. I hated it. Um, would not recommend. <laughs> okay. Um, excuse me, John. You're saying that the Marvel movies are dumb because they do really well at the box office. <laughs> Deadpool, in fact, um, beat this movie. It's the top-rated R movie, top-grossing R-rated movie of all time. So, I mean, when we think about it, isn't Deadpool the real story of resurrection? That's it true. resurrected Ryan Reynolds' career. Hey! You're welcome, folks. <laughs> folks, folks. What else is in the news? <laughs> Uh, John, I'll tell you what's in the news. The same way in which we finish every episode. So technically it's the olds, but... (laughs) Perfect transition. Let's get into our... Yes, let's get into our patented recommendation section. Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie! It's time! And John, I have the perfect recommendation to accompany The Passion of the Christ. Mm. Um, It's a documentary called The Devil We Know. Ooh. Yes, I watched this. Uh, it's that new uh, Steve Mike... Bannon movie, right? <laughs> Good one. Um, no, because that'll be forgotten about in a week. This oh, okay. lives on Netflix. Uh, my girlfriend and I watched it on the recommendation of a friend. And uh, because we don't want to have a good time or enjoy ourselves, we decided to put it on on a Sunday afternoon. And oh boy. <laughs> what a treat. Is it fun? <laughs> yes. This is a, a, a muckraking, another muckraking documentary uh, like The Corporation or Enron, The Smartest Guys of the Room, basically to expose corporate malfeasance. Um, if you're a savvy viewer like me, this is a tried and true genre. Um, however, I will say, I think The Devil We Know is one of the best of them. Hmm. Um, and that's because it finds a, a very a, a very grim story in the town of uh, Parkersburg, West Virginia. This is a working class city. Um, that happened to be downstream from a DuPont chemical plant that made Teflon. And uh, wouldn't you know it, there's some uh, detritus in Teflon and other stuff that um, isn't good for human consumption. <laughs> so when it gets in the drinking water, ooh, no no, no bueno. <laughs> oh, oh dear. <laughs> yeah. So this, this has been going on for, I don't know, three decades. <laughs> Everybody makes an oopsie. <laughs> But the directors, like, very pointedly point out all the, that, like, not only just the corporate malfeasance, but find stories in Parkersburg that just really, like, rip your heart out. Um, I'd say the star of the movie is uh, Bucky Bailey, um, who unfortunately got, yes, I know that's a, that's a it's kind of very West Virginia name. <laughs> no, I was going to say, made him a star. It's like, you're going to be in pictures, kid. <laughs> That that would be a, a very unexpected because he was born with birth defects and oh. had to go through like dozens of uh, facial and reconstructive surgeries, um, you know, not to look like 
and not to sound blithe or something like that, but yeah, he looks like Chunk from the Goonies. Oh, okay. And yeah, and you, you know, couldn't at least give very... Elephant Man credit. Come on. I no, John, because if you send him a picture, you'll know how accurate I am with my okay. analogies. So <laughs> all right, <laughs> this is so, an audio. This is an audio visual. You know. <laughs> yes. But in addition to telling that story, there's a lot of hopefulness. He does find his wife. Um, there's drama surrounding like the the likelihood that he because this chemicals in his blood that he could uh sire a child that also has the same birth defects that he has and so very effectively done in terms of like telling these stories and explaining like all the limits and just basically how terrible the effects of these chemicals that Dow has put into Teflon are and basically how they've infected the whole world uh isn't it great that we all have C8 in our blood now isn't that isn't that wonderful folks <laughs> Um, so yes, it, like every other corporate documentary, it'll make you mad. Um, if but if you're cynical like me, find a lot to admire and appreciate in it. Um, and again, screw Dow Chemical, and I don't think the documentary goes far far enough in saying that uh, we should just abolish uh, every company um, making over a billion dollars. <laughs> just break them up, just ruin them, because they've they've obviously been a force for evil in the world. I know people like to point out that the body count that capitalism had, excuse me, the body count that uh, communistical societies had, um, but uh, there's a lot of blood on capitalism's hands. So uh, break them up, um, tax the hell out of them. Well, oh, they care. neglect Whatever. to mention that all the deaths by capitalism is based on like one dictator like with capitalism yeah. it's spread throughout history through so many exactly. hands through so many exactly hands. that's why it continues to last it's all ab- absolution like it's not me i was just yeah, following exactly. orders we did it exactly. for the company it's, it's the invisible hand of the market we have no control over it yeah no one should go to no one should go to jail for you know the malfeasance of the company yeah just doing it for you know the good of the company exactly and stalin you know what did they what did he give the people of russia DuPont gave us Teflon, non-stick, sco- non-stick pans, and winter coats. They gave us Foxcatcher. Come on! Yes. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm using comedy to disarm how, how awful this whole story is, but um, they've, they've made, there's a, there's a wonderful documentary that's readily available called The Devil We Know. You should check it out. Okay. Yeah. Um, so this week I've been been slowly getting into a podcast which i've been kind of trying to resist it but i can't help but bring it up no john don't don't i know i can't help myself i can't help myself when i'm so this is the only podcast you should be listening to (laughs) so the the only problem with this podcast or at least the biggest problem is it's on iHeartRadio, which is trying to position itself as like the big new podcast i know gosh it's like their commercials are endless and it's like hey we're iHeartRadio. have you tried best fiends yet (laughs) best (laughs) um but it's a new podcast by a writer who you might remember from his cracked days, Robert Brockway, and it's oh, called. Oh yes, I like I yes. like Robert Brockway. Mm-hmm. He's a very good uh, journalist who's uh, been mm-hmm. to Iraq and Syria, and he's uh, had quite the career. And uh, he wants to bring a, a prophecy, a warning to the complacent people of America with his new podcast. It could happen here. And okay. uh, basically, week to week, it's a it's it's a, a one man show. It's basically just him reading an essay that he's basically written, and okay. it, it kind of functions like one of his cracked pieces. It's like, oh, here's number one, here's number seven reason, here's number six reason, here's number five reason, and he's basically counting down how likely, or at least in this first season, he's counting down how likely a civil war would break out again in our current day and age, and what that would mm-hmm. look like. Um, obviously, it's a lot of conjecture. And you could make the argument that it's like this kind of unnecessary fear mongering, but 
I mean, he's a very good writer and a very compelling speaker. And, you know, it is something I think worth thinking about is like what would happen if there was a complete collapse of governmental systems. Lord knows we're closer to it now than we ever were before. So <laughs> I think it's kind of it's an interesting thought experiment. Um, and I think he's he's picked the right form for it. And I think it's it, even though it is, you know, supporting iHeartRadio, if you listen, which ugh. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't even done anything particularly wrong. It's just like gross. It's like giving money yeah. to your friend Chad. It's like ugh, don't give money to Chad. Chad sucks. Yeah, who was like a trust fund kid and <laughs> got an abrasive, obnoxious personality that she kind of like grew up together. Because that's the thing. Yeah, iHeartRadio is still all like shock jock or you know like Limp Bizkit era you know energy and. <laughs> And they're like, they're getting into like the podcast game now and they're like, love to advertise. It's like, yeah, just by sheer numbers, we have the most podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I assume okay, but... most of them are garbage, but I, you know, Robert Brockway, any, any chance he gets, I will, I will absorb him. So please <laughs> let's, let's support okay. him. A young independent okay. artist. Now, but John, can I push back on this? So oh, dear. Oh, this no. is br- breaking down into a season. Just Is it just about Civil War? or? Um, basically, I think his argument, this first season, yes, it's all about the likelihood of a second Civil War breaking out in America. And okay. so um, he'll usually pick kind of a topic. And uh, for instance, um, in his second episode, I think he talks about kind of what it would look like in California specifically. And California would be a really bad choke point because that's where all the food comes from. And nothing's going to destabilize the country more than, you know, food prices skyrocketing. And then uses okay. like examples from Venezuela, what's currently happening in Venezuela and stuff like that. So right. he kind of comes at it from, you know, like he, he sets up a prompt and then explores hypothetically what it would look like. And, oh, here's the examples. Like, here's what I experienced in Syria. Here's what I happened to in Iraq. And I think ultimately the thesis of the podcast is, is that, you know, Americans are kind of complacent. We think like, well, not here. Like, you know, we have checks and balances and uh, we don't have racism anymore. We solved that with the Civil Rights Act, right? Like, nothing's no, nothing's wrong in America. We're exceptional. And, uh, you know, it, this first season, he's just exploring the idea that it's like, our government systems can't fail, right? I'm sure he'll come up with... Well, that's that's what I wanted to push back on. Is, is he operating under the assumptions that they have failed and a civil war has started? Or the ways in which they, they will fail, let's say the government goes into default, or there is this large secession movement like what what's he basing it on like where is it based on history or is it based on this speculative uh ideas um a little bit of column a a little bit of column b the reason why he's, <laughs> okay. he's he's obviously using like what's happened in iraq and syria as kind of examples and kind okay. of why he could foresee that happening in america but the reason why he's bringing it up now obviously is because we do have a proto-fascist in the white house who clearly has a disregard for how government operates mm-hmm. and there is obviously the specter of the 2020 election coming out and if he loses how much of his base is going to agree with that how peacefully will he step away from the reins of power so that's kind of that's where the speculation kind of comes in well okay and that's the other notion i wanted to like pick up on like if he's Mm -hmm. looking at history like the second you could say the first american civil war god god willing the only american civil war (laughs) started because a whole economic system around the southern united states would literally be upended like it would literally flip upside down Mm -hmm. and you can understand like the people's you know willingness 
uh, wrongly, willingness to <laughs> actually secede and start their own society there. Here, it's the current era is a lot more different because, like, I don't want to sound like Steven Pinker, like, this is the future we've always dreamed of. We can, <laughs> we've got the internet and smartphones and food is plentiful uh, and flat screen TVs. Like, I don't want to sound Pollyannish like that, but, like, is he looking at history and, like, the different circumstances or... Well, I think, uh, look, again, he's not, like, trying to say, like, oh, it's going to be exactly like the first Civil War. Not at all. Yeah. He's just saying mm-hmm. that it's a very divided time right now. And if we were ever close to a civil war, this would be it. Like, obviously, mm. he brings back in the, you know, Civil Rights Act of the 1960s and a lot of the unrest there. And, you know, like, we've always had times of unrest. There's always been protests. But it's like, when does that hit its breaking point? At what point does the, you know, National Guard get called in and things get a little too rowdy? And when well, do these militias... It, the other thing, too, is he always talks about the militia movement as well. They're yeah. as active as they've ever been. Ever okay. since Obama got elected, you know, there's been way too, way too much militia activity, and it has not exactly slowed down under Donald Trump either, weirdly. So, you know, mm. there's there's always the specter of that as well. Okay. Well, I'll tell you, John, when the breaking point happens. Oh, yeah. And it's when we elect Pete Buttigieg in 2020. <laughs> and we pretend like this just never happened. Exactly. <laughs> And then the and then the moral majority of the Christian right again will be like a yeah. sodomite in the in the White House. <gasps> Shudder the thought. Yes. How did and we steep in, so low? Yes. And instead, we elect um, in twenty twenty four. I don't know some dead zone, <laughs> a clear eyed psychopath like uh, who's that? What's that guy's name in Arkansas? Trey Trey Walker or something like that. Who who knows? A White Walker? Are you saying we yeah, should elect yes. a White Walker? Oh, it, he looks like a White Walker. <laughs> They've already brought the wall down, so... Yeah. Oh, exactly. And they they intend to bring uh, Iran down and bring about the apocalypse, so good for them. <laughs> um, so, yes, I'm, I'm challenging some of the notions of Robert Rockway. As good a writer as he is, mm-hmm. I, I just want to push back on this notion, like... The, like oh we live I think in a you're divided getting, time and yeah I think you're getting too hung up on the the just the concept of civil war you're like looking at history like you think he's giving you plot point by plot point like why this is exactly yeah. like the first civil war which he's totally not he's just giving okay. it you know the the specter of it but is but is he making that leap that says like oh we're gonna have civil war tomorrow and like Syria like the the cities will be bloodbaths or something and I mean no he's not saying it's gonna look like the civil war where we're all wearing blue and gray you know <laughs> outfits with yeah. muskets he's saying that mm. yes there you know what happens if martial law gets declared what if there's night raids like he he talks about his time in iraq and how they would do night raids and how it was like basically a police state you know except instead Mm. of your own government it's a different government it's like do you believe in that government do you trust that government you know is that does that qualify as a civil war technically yes well Again, I'm pushing back some of these notions. Part of it's also of my fear of how, how <laughs> well, that's the whole point. How possible that these things could happen. Yeah. yeah, that's the whole point. That's why the the the, the podcast is called "It Could Happen Here." He's trying to okay. wake you up from that thought that it's like, well, not in America. <laughs> well, we're all exactly. I we're all blue I skies that. and apple pie. Uh, exactly. So I reject that notion. So sorry, John. Your, your recommendation is not getting a listen. It's fake I mean, news. Are, it's fake news. Yes, it's fake news. And iHeartRadio, come on. <laughs> I know, it's surprising. At least it's with surprising. SoundCloud or whatever. Yeah, you know what you're getting. <laughs> you can listen to an informative podcast and then hear, a, I don't know, a 17-year-old independent rapper with, like, four face tattoos. <laughs> That's my biggest fear about America. Face tattoos becoming mainstream. It's just, this is just a bridge too oh, far no, for me. I, 
I, I hey the the Maori people, a lot of Polynesians have had it for years. I think I think it's I think I think we can change it. Right now it's in a bad style phase. I think if we can make a few tweaks, <laughs> put them on the runway at Milan, I think we'll be in better shape. Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, t- yeah, Post Malone, I'm sure, has cultural reasons why he got him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like this is actually connected to my Maori ancestry. <laughs> yeah, celebrating his heritage. <laughs> Heritage as a thug, I bet. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you, folks. <laughs> I know, John. John, we've we've brought some fire this episode. A lot of controversial takes. It's true. It's um, true. And I'll I'll tell you a place where you won't find any controversy <laughs> or disagreement at all, and that's social media. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Go ahead and give us a follow there, so you'll know when new episodes are dropping. Yep. And uh, when we drop uh, controversial opinions, like, yeah. uh, hey, we think the Night King deserves the <laughs> deserves the Iron Throne. He's worked way harder, and uh, we hope that's how the this uh, Game of Thrones ends. So yeah, I mean, honestly, like given the odds again all that all that matters to me is like the gambling so it's like everyone's putting it on Daenerys so <laughs> like she's got like you know the, the the odds are in favor of her so I gotta go like a little bit middle of the road I'm hoping I'm hoping Tyrion but we'll see we'll see he's yeah, got two to one odds right now really yeah does Daenerys have top odds right now uh, yeah totally according to the really? algorithm because Jon Snow well they found out that the that the white man <laughs> has technically the the rightful <laughs> is rightful heir so obviously they're not going to let that go no of course not of course not but yeah. the, again that's he's also too good, much of a goody two shoes so he'll he'll sacrifice no, himself before the end it's yeah. come on we all know this is going come on everyone's like oh game of thrones so unpredictable it's like really really come on i know but he can't die when he sacrifices himself. i guess that's true yeah. yeah he comes back to life who knew who knew yeah. Well, he can't do it twice. That'd be ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's how you know that the Game of Thrones books are better than the Bible. <laughs> you get double the action. More resurrections. <laughs> yes. Also, not enough ice zombies in the Bible. Hmm. Yeah. Missed out. Yeah. Peter could have gone through a second draft. I know. <laughs> More ice zombies next time. I know. Those ancient Hebrews when they were in uh, exile in Cana. What were you guys thinking? <laughs> Make it more interesting. I mean, yeah, the creation story, good and all, but where, where were the ice zombies? Where were the, where were the opponents in there? <laughs> the, the serpent comes out of nowhere. Let, let's let's do some punch-ups. Let's get a room together, John. We'll do some punch-ups. Exactly. Primo content. That's why we're. That's what we're all about here at Aspiring yes. Snobs. Which we're is calling why. it Vatican Three. <laughs> <laughs> which is why you should go to your podcast service of choice: Spotify, mm-hmm. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever. Just give us a subscribe and rate us five stars. Boom. Yes. Yes. And if you, but if you disagree with anything in the show, please keep that review to yourself. Yes, um, exactly. We only want positives here. Come on, this is our safe yes. space. <laughs> John, I want to know, let people know that they're also safe to know what movie we're watching next week, so that they can watch along with us. Well, I think we got a little too much crucifixion this week. I think we need mm. to balance it out with a little resurrection. So, as a perfect pairing, I've decided next week we're watching the Monty Python film Life of Brian. <laughs> This is our our parents uh, didn't strictly forbid us from watching the Passion of the Christ. However, I do remember they would not allow allow us to watch the Life of Brian. It's weird because we, we were a very Holy Grail centric household. We watched that oh, all yes. the time as kids. Oh, that was how many totally times fair did we quoted the, the Knights of Knee? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> but Life of Brian was too sacrilegious. So it'll be yes. interesting. It'll be interesting to experience it for the first time and and let Satan enter our hearts. As I yes. <laughs> Sorry, mom and dad. Yeah. <laughs> You made it 31 good years, but uh, it can't protect us forever. <laughs> We're grown men now, okay? We shave. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
Thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, I'm so glad you came to save us, Lord. <laughs> just want to bring it down. Bring yep. it in. Raise your hands if you feel it. I'm yes. So glad come, to, come to the front of the stage, all right? If you're feeling God, it's calling you to your heart right now. <laughs> you came from heaven to enter to show. They can't see it, but we're doing the hand motions. <laughs> yes. Oh, we learned those. Yeah, back at camp. From the cross to the grave. I think people have gone away way too deep portrait into our childhood. <laughs> I think we should sign off now. Okay. Keep aspiring, y'all. I'm so glad you came to save us.